We're here from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about a revolutionary new way of teaching called the Active Learning Initiative with a special guest from Cornell University. We'll also answer a listener question about how airplanes deal with lightning. Let's satisfy some curiosity. A breakthrough in higher education could be paving the way towards a new future for learning. Cornell University has been implementing a program called the Active Learning Initiative, and the results have been incredible, according to today's guest, Julia Tom-Levy. She's the Vice Provost for Academic Innovation at Cornell University and a professor in the Department of Physics. And she's all in on this new approach to teaching, even though she admits she was quite skeptical at first. Here's what she told us about the Active Learning Initiative. It was pitched to me because I was one of the professors teaching large introductory, you know, freshman courses to non-majors. So I was at the time teaching a course for 400 engineering majors, and they all have to take physics. <laughs> so the, the pitch was, you know, there's mounting research over the last five to ten years that there are better ways to teach these courses than we're teaching them traditionally. The research says that people learn best if they're directly engaged, if they're doing things themselves, if they, you know, talk a lot and are engaging in problems and are getting rapid feedback. And, you know, that's not the way I was teaching. (laughs) (laughs) So I was interested because it was very convincing research. I didn't know how to do that. You know, I walk, usually walk into a big auditorium. There's 400 students there, and I do a lecture. Sometimes I'll call on people, but I'm, you know, I'm basically the one who's transmitting content, who's telling them my point of view, who's going through the material, uh, you know, writing a lot of formulas and (laughs) overhead projectors. So that's the way I was taught, and that's the way I was teaching. And uh, this was something entirely new. Now, the research was very convincing, you know, the outcomes were really good. So I said, okay, I'll try it. It's, you know, it doesn't sound like it's easy. um, And I'm not sure how I will do that. But um, I thought I wanted to try it, although I was a bit on the fence because it was so different. So what did you do that first day? How was how was class different? So I usually, you know, up until then, my first 10 years of teaching, I'd walked in with my lecture notes put them down, started with an introduction and started writing down things. And I'm talking for an entire hour. Maybe I'll ask some questions, you know, maybe I'll probe the audience a little bit. There's also some some experiments. So the new the new method is to give them pre-class assignments. You know, they, they had read the book and I was coming in with a couple of exercises to do in small groups. And also everybody had a clicker, so it's a little device that gives feedback. So every single audience member has uh, this little feedback clicker and can tell me answers to multiple choice questions. So we had that set up. And I walked in and just started by giving them, you know, a little group problem. And usually it's very quiet in a lecture hall when you lecture. (laughs) That's what I had um, done for 10 years. And I remember giving them this exercise and thinking, this one, they'll just look at me and they'll, they, nothing will happen and I'll be completely stuck and the whole thing will sink. <laughs> and I remember, you know, the buzz of conversation. They were all working, every single last student in this room. And this, it's, it's amazing. Usually I look up and the last 
few rows are asleep, <laughs> and the first few rows have very eager students who are very eager to engage. And th in this new scenario, everybody was working. I remember this amazing. It was so interesting. There's a buzz of conversation, and I slowly walked away from the lecture podium and peeked in and talked to them a little bit, walked up the stairs and just was part of this experience of working on a little problem together with 400 people. It was quite remarkable. So I could overhear conversations, you know, I could tell what people are stuck on. I could, they'd ask me a little question. And so this is the pattern, you know. So it's the engagement of every single last person in the room, even with a very big group. And then the opportunity to give rapid feedback for me to them and for them to me through the feedback system and just through little interactions. And then just the human component of just, you know, lowering the barrier and just being able to talk to them informally and for them to talk to me. So those are all elements that I think are just uh, huge for teaching. And our results were so remarkable Grades change, student satisfaction is much bigger, and lots of things changed dramatically. You know, the quantity of change is about as big as we usually see if we did one-on-one -on -one tutoring with students. Wow. Um, and yeah, yeah, so it was, it's remarkable. And um, for me, it has an aspect, I'm a woman in physics, and I've you know, there's, there's often an aspect of feeling a little bit like an outsider. Sure. So one thing I noticed is that students who had not traditionally talked to me so much uh, would come and talk to me a lot after I changed this teaching method. And I think in a lecture setting, it's much harder to address it than in this sort of active, low-barrier classroom that's, that's very engaged and where you're always speaking out aloud and working with others, you know, every single time you enter this classroom. So I think in that regard, it's just a really important thing to do in our classrooms. Again, that was Julia Tom-Levy, the Vice Provost for Academic Innovation at Cornell University and a professor in the Department of Physics. You can hear our extended uncut interview on our Patreon page at patreon.com curiosity.com, all spelled out. And we'll post links to learn more about the Active Learning Initiative in today's show notes. Now that you know how lecture halls are being transformed, I've got to tell you about how coffee is being transformed with some help from today's sponsor, Trade. Trade is the best kept secret for coffee drinkers. And I don't know if I've mentioned this, but I am a coffee drinker. You know, we've talked about a lot of life hacks and morning routines on this show, but of all the ideas we've shared, the one morning routine I have always had is that I'll drink a cup or two of black coffee in the morning. There are a lot of ways to make your coffee though, from different ways of brewing to different sweeteners. So I don't always know which coffee to recommend to people. That's where Trade comes in. You can take a coffee quiz on their website and Trade will recommend and send you delicious roasted-to-order coffee from one of 52 award-winning roasters featuring more than 400 coffees. Trade has made millions of matches, pairing people like you with their perfect cup of coffee. This is the best deal for coffee of this quality anywhere. And for a limited time, you can get 50% off plus free shipping when starting your subscription at drinktrade.com when you use the promo code CURIOUS. That's drinktrade.com, promo code CURIOUS, for 50% off plus free shipping. One more time, visit drinktrade.com, promo code CURIOUS. We got a listener question from Luke, who's one of our patrons on our Discord server. Luke asks, are airplanes designed to absorb or cope with lightning strikes in the air? 
If so, why do airports stop planes if there's lightning in the area? Interesting question, Luke. Yes, airplanes are designed to cope with lightning strikes. In fact, it's estimated that every airplane in the United States is struck by lightning at least once every year. So if they weren't, airlines would be in trouble. If the aircraft hull is made of aluminum, as it is on most legacy planes, you hardly need extra protection. That's because, as we mentioned in our story a while back about putting metal in the microwave, metal is a good conductor of electricity. That's what you want in a lightning storm, something that electrons can pass through easily. As a result, when lightning hits a metal airplane, it flows along the exterior, usually without affecting much inside. But that's in older airplanes. Newer planes use newer composite materials, and those aren't good conductors of electricity. That means that electrons that strike them tend to move more slowly, which means they can heat up the molecules within them and start fires. To help protect those planes, manufacturers will weave a thin metallic mesh into the skin of the craft, which makes it a better conductor of electricity. Other protection measures include connecting the engine with electrical grounding straps, putting shields over electrical wiring, and adding metal diverter strips that can lead an electrical charge away from delicate areas. But the question remains, if they put all this work into protecting planes from lightning, why do they keep planes from taking off if there's lightning in the air? Well, it's kind of like wearing a seatbelt in a car. Sure, that seatbelt can protect you in case of a crash, but it's really best if you can avoid a crash entirely by slowing down and keeping your eyes on the road. Intense lightning strikes can still damage an airplane, so airlines treat lightning storms as a better safe-than-sorry situation. Thanks for your question, Luke. Before we wrap up, we want to give a special shout-out to Dr. Mary Yancey and Muhammad Shafaz, who we'd like to credit as executive producers for today's episode, thanks to their generous support on Patreon. Thank you so much. Join us again tomorrow for the award-winning Curiosity Daily and learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Stay curious. On the Westwood One Podcast Network.